Welcome back to the Indie Idiot. My name is Justin Andrew Davis, and I am your host, Idiot. Uh, thank you for joining me. This is a podcast for indie filmmakers who are just trying to figure things out where not knowing means growing, and uh, we're hopefully having a good time along the way. Today, I have with me Nick DeLulo, who is a good friend and a DP. He shot two short films for me, uh, Powerful Stuff, which is now entering the film festival circuit, and Definitely Something, which will presumably uh, premiere in 2023. Uh, Great dude. I suggest you hire him for all your projects immediately. And here's a quick introduction about Nick. Nick shoots a mix of narrative, documentary, commercial, and music video work. His debut feature film, Exposure 36 premiered on Apple TV and Amazon Prime in 2022. The TV special documentary he shot, Joe Exotic Before He Was King, was played nationally on Investigation Discovery. Several pieces Nick has shot have been selected for film festivals all across the country, including Screamfest, Chain Film Festival, Long Island International Film Expo, Manhattan International Film Festival, and several others. Welcome, Nick. Thanks, Justin. <laughs> How are you doing? Good, man. Good. So, uh, for today's topic, uh, as you're aware, I want to talk about uh, shot lists and that whole uh, process because I think it is it is very, very important to, I mean, not only the creative side of uh, the film, but also the, the sort of pragmatic scheduling uh, for production. I mean, it's it's... You know, there's only so much time and only so much money, and uh, you know you'll drive your AD crazy <laughs> if you're uh, trying to do too much. As I have <laughs> before, shoutouts to Brian DiLorenzo and Diana Riss, Reese, one of the two. Um, you guys rule. And so yeah, so I, I I guess let's start sort of very basically. So when 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 you sign on to a project, right? What are a couple of things you need to know in order to do your job? Uh, what are some things that kind of, you know, perk your ears or, or raise red flags? Well, first off, I kind of look at the script, and I after I read over the script a few times, I'm kind of asking or I'm trying to figure out what, how long are we looking at, kind of thing for this film. Uh, and then after that, I'm looking at where are the locations um how is that going to factor into things so are we filming outside are we filming inside are we are we going to uh, are we traveling to a location is it an exotic location is it going to be a difficult location kind of thing um and even if we don't have any locations in mind uh, and the director hasn't given one um you know starting that conversation early on i think is the best point to start off of because you know, especially in New York City, having a, a four-floor walk-up or, um, you know, having to deal with elevator bays or whatnot, or, you know, even from a cinematography point of view, if you're on the 10th floor of a New York City building, you can't put lights outside kind of thing. And so Good that's point. always a thing that I always think about. Um, on top of that, kind of thinking about aesthetic, um, so the big debate of like, okay, are we, what's kind of uh, the style that we're going for here? So are we looking at handheld? Are we looking at more of a stabilized kind of look? Are we looking at no movement? 
Are we looking at something that we're having uh, a lot of movement? Are we talking, and then that always leads into the great question of budget and figuring out, um, you know, everyone would love to have a technocrine. Uh, <laughs> I would love to have a technocrine. I don't know if my style would need <laughs> no, a maybe not your, well, your style. We'll see, we'll see. But, um, you know, everyone wants a technocrine, but uh, very few people can afford technocrine in the indie, independent world. Actually, I don't know if I've ever been on an indie that has afforded a technocrine. So it's like, okay, uh, just figuring out kind of that mix of what you want and what's actually achievable is always kind of the thing that we start on before we even get to shot listing. And then, you know, that brings up also the question of references, because I'm a big reference guy. So, as you know, um, I love lookbooks, and <laughs> I will do tons of lookbooks. Yeah, yeah, and I, I remember, or I'm pretty sure on both projects I dragged my feet on giving you references. You did. Yeah, <laughs> you did. <laughs> you did. Um, but that's not uncommon either. Um, I would say, um, and I feel like every director is so different by how they approach something. It's like, you know, some people need more time to really think about what they want their film to look like kind of thing, which I totally get, um, because it's like, you know, when you're writing it, uh, a lot of the directors I work with are writer-directors, like yourself, kind of thing and so you write it all out and you're working on picturing everything in your head and all that kind of stuff but it's harder to get that to translate to on screen and explain what you actually want it to be so i think people need to have that extra time away from the script to actually watch things to be like yeah that's kind of what i was envisioning Mm -hmm. and then they'll go off of something and um then that will lead them to something else and then they'll eventually get us to the references that i'll normally get sent yeah yeah so I'll, i want to come back to location because i think that is you know <laughs> a very important factor for many a reason uh but it will stick with references for right now um i think at least for me somebody you know i my sort of focus and expertise lies almost entirely with acting so i've kind of have directed either out of interest or necessity, some combination of the two uh, has affected each project that I've directed. Um, And so I think that a lot of times I don't have the language. You know, Mm. I mean, I can sort of, I can show you uh, maybe some movies that I like or maybe movies that have similar subject matter or locations. I can kind of do that. But where I get uh, tripped up a little bit is like the... uh, the vocabulary, the sort of like, um, you know, talking about lenses and, and uh, filters and, and types of lights. And I mean, yeah, I get really lost. I'm just like, I, I, that, this, is, this looks cool. Uh, but I don't know how to tell this you what good. it is. I don't know how to tell you what it is. Um, so I, yeah, I guess what is your, how would you have somebody prepare for that conversation with you? Or what do you think you need like, do you need the director to have a specialized knowledge of uh, lenses or lights or, or, you know, any of that kind of stuff? Or what do you what do you need? No, and that's the thing. It's like, I, I mean, at least what I found is everyone's all directors are different, and but you know, many of them don't aren't going to be able to tell me the exact. Okay, this is what I want to be. Here, I want to be at this point right now, and I want the camera to move over here while also 
pivoting upwards or something like that. Um, a lot of the times I find on like uh, maybe on like an indie level, uh, people are still experimenting and figuring out their ways of like, because that to me, when I hear that, that means like, oh, that director knows exactly what they want to do. And okay. they've they maybe had more experience kind of stuff and in directing and done this a number of times. So that's okay. how they know exactly how to word it. But in the indie world, when, you know, people are still figuring out kind of their style and what they want and how to explain things, I feel like it's more open. And for me, I'm always open to take, like, you know, explain however you want to me, and I'll try to interpret that Mm -hmm. in my own way, and then we'll try to build off of there. Like, you might, I think a lot of times on powerful stuff or whatever, you would put up your hands like, I want to see this frame line kind of thing yeah and well, i'll have to interpret that like okay that might be on a 50 millimeter lens um, oh, or we're gonna have to be this far away with the camera or we're gonna have to be this close with the camera kind of thing okay yeah i mean that totally makes sense because like uh in my head yeah i can i can see what i imagine the shot to be but like i said i don't know how that what you need to do to accomplish that. Yeah. But I mean, I guess that's your yeah. your expertise and uh, responsibility. And it's true. It's like, but there's also directors that I will work with that are um, super technical too. Um, and uh, I can have a conversation where like, okay, but a lot of those directors before I go into it are also come from a technical background of like, um, I have one director I've worked with, John Velasco Dodge, who started as a dp kind of thing and so he has a technical background of you know of lenses and uh cameras so i can be very specific and technical and be like i need a 25 millimeter master prime kind of thing if you want to get this uh, is that what you're really envisioning or do you need something like a 40 millimeter or uh can we be this close do you want that distortion kind of thing and that kind of stuff is different because it's a different conversation than when i would have with a different director where we're more talking about more generic terms and like style of like where we want it to go and so to me there's not like there it not neither is better kind of thing it's just more of adapting for every person's style kind of thing gotcha yeah i I guess do you think uh the more specific sort of uh jargon-filled conversation does that uh do you feel like that could maybe cause heads to butt or do you think or or no i don't think so i mean at least when i've done stuff with sean and a few of the other more technical directors to me it's like oh okay so they know they have their precise way they want to do it and that's great because that gives us a starting point to start off of um and a lot of the times too we can be more um we can have more of a discussion over why are we making that choice kind of thing um where we can maybe jump a few i think that might be an advantage is sometimes we can jump a step or two ahead of other directors where we're talking more generic because when we're talking more generic i have to take a guess at interpret what you're trying to say put up the shot and then we have to go back and forth and say well was that what you really were picturing right, right. or we have to go back and be like yeah maybe i didn't get really interpret what you were saying correctly help me figure out a way to really get what you're trying to say right. so we might need we might be able to jump a step or two ahead when we're talking technicals like i want to be right here on this lens 
um, at this height and with this move kind of thing. But that doesn't mean it's, you know, better either. It just means we might be able to get um, a few minutes ahead. Yeah, yeah, because I'm remembering on, I guess, both films, powerful stuff and definitely something, uh, probably more so powerful stuff, uh, you would be like do you want it on this and i'd be like i don't know what that means <laughs> and so a lot of times we, i would have to audition the lens yeah um, because i just i just literally don't know i can't be like oh 55 see it in my brain no so i mean that does add up time whether or not that's really gonna um you know kill your day i i don't know but it does add up it doesn't and here's the thing that uh, i i got told about this way back and i think it's super true as a dp um, that also is always around sets and all that stuff and has focused all on cameras and lenses, I can I know what all these different focal lengths are and I, I know what it's going to look like. But a director who might only go on set every... Uh, if they're doing narrative stuff, maybe every two years or every year, uh, it's once a year. Uh, it takes a lot of practice to figure out exactly what each lens is. So That's like, a great point. Um, you know, a, a and it's also on a, you're not using the same thing on every project. Like um, for I guess for our projects, we used uh, did we yeah we did use the same the same camera package kind of thing on both. Um, and so that's like something you can go off of. But I've done plenty of different films for different directors where the first film we're shooting on one camera and one lens package, and then on the next film we're shooting on a different camera and lens package. So each is going to look different. So it's like, from a director's point of view, that um, is only working on maybe directing one or two sets a year uh, or narrative projects. It's like, it takes some time to adapt kind of thing to really get used to that and what that actually means. Yeah, I mean, that's a <clears throat> a, a really great point because, you know, especially on uh, this level, you it's going to be harder to shoot more frequently. And, I mean, it just takes long to get to set period no yeah uh, <clears throat> i guess we're also i'm also coming at it from a writer director perspective i mean if you were working just as a director i mean maybe yep. you have greater access to scripts you can jump onto and jump onto but you know uh we're, we're talking more so on like the indie level yep. people wear multiple hats it's probably writer director and yeah, I mean, you know, uh, people only have so much time and money, so that's a very good point that you'll probably... It takes time to write. Yeah, it mean? takes a lot like of time to write. From from your point of view, for when you wrote Powerful Stuff, um, what's the magic number? That, how many years did it end up taking to... Uh, to get to set or to, to just to be done? To get to set, yeah. To get to set, uh, I, th- I think in total I saw the first brainstorm, uh, some document in either my email or, or Google Drive or whatever... Uh, really bare bones, like uh, beginnings of it was like I think three years ago, and so we it took a year to finish. So I want to say I had the original idea, kind of did nothing with it for a while, thought about it, maybe scribbled, and then the pandemic hit, and then you know I really started uh, diving back into it because I had time, and I was like, oh yeah, maybe maybe this can go somewhere. So two years i mean maybe like of actual like okay this is the project i'm working on it maybe a year but yeah i mean that's a year for 15 pages you know but that and i mean it's like that for a lot of projects like that horror film that i did with mike pisano who i work with a lot kind of thing um 
that one, um, I mean, that started like something like four, pre-pandemic kind of thing, similar situation. Um, so it's like it takes time to get to that point. And over all that time, it's like the amount of times, unless a director is participating in commercials, the likelihood is no, they're not going to be doing on set unless they're producing. But even if they're producing, they're not picking which focal length they're using. Right, kind right, of thing. right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's like it's an adaptive process that I think uh, a lot of people, at least on an indie level, have to like you know adapt to and figure out what's what's more comfortable for like the style of how you work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean that makes total sense. I I, I mean when when. We got to set. I mean, we we had a shot list beforehand, and then on set, I think <laughs> we did, we did, we did. And a lot of it, you know, got uh, chopped to shit because you know you don't have enough time. Um, but I, I I knew what I wanted to see in most cases, or um, I think the the thing that took up. I mean, obviously, switching lenses in and out takes up time for me to see how, the difference. But I think the thing that took the most time is uh, like blocking. You know, I think that is something. You can kind of think about maybe beforehand, but uh, I think a lot of times being there in person with all the people and all the lights really dictates what the movements are going to be. And I think, I guess this is a good time to pivot to to locations. So, like, (laughs) in general, uh, how often do you get to go to the location beforehand? And then I guess how much time... Do you and the director spend like being like, all right, we're doing this, and then we're doing that, and then we're doing this? I think it, it's it really depends on the project kind of thing, and it's also it's like, look, Hollywood films all can go on location scouts all the time because they have unlimited, uh, not unlimited funds, but most of the times their budgets are massive, so they have the ability to be like, okay, everyone, uh, we're booking you for the day. You're all going to the location sale kind of thing. But that's not really possible in an independent world uh, because it's like... Yeah, to pay a day rate just to go location scout? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's not easy. I mean, uh, on maybe higher-end indies, I think, I've seen that kind of thing. But it's harder to do that on a regular indie. And even as a DP, I feel like that's like... it's the thing where it's like you have a limited amount of funds. I don't know if I was like I personally don't know if I want to get paid on a location scout day and have that money take away from right a day. and it's time you know, yeah yeah if you and but that's the thing it. it's like it's also like you know people directors too everyone's got ha, has to work so it's like that tough balance. But that being said, uh, I always try to do a location scout if I can, um, and I prioritize probably that over anything else because definitely run into issues um where it's been you know where you haven't done a location scout yeah i mean even thinking about um uh your film um when we were first lo- talking about different locations uh okay. which for, film? for powerful oh, stuff for powerful sorry stuff, yeah, and yeah. clarify for powerful stuff when we looked at that theater um that we were going to film and it was like okay um you know this is this is going to be uh, a big theater. Like, let's think about uh, how we're going to try to, like, where are people going to be positioned? What's the blocking going to be like a little bit? Uh, the other big question is, like, okay, what are the limitations of being in this theater? Like, let's think, you know, 
um, eventually getting to lighting, like how much power do we have? What What is that gonna limit us to um, how we can light? And also uh, going back to the camera side, how can we move the camera and where are we moving the camera? Um, are we gonna be limited in the movement? In your second film, when we were um, in your uh, in your apartment, for definitely something. The podcast studio. The podcast studio, <laughs> right, yes. Yeah. yes. Um, <laughs> My apartment. We were uh, pretty restricted on our movement because of certain spots. So like when we would have to do a trekking move in the hallway, um, you know, we were limited for how, how far we could move along because we were really only able to come from be from filming from behind or from the front. We weren't able to do any side angles. Oh, no, not at all. Because we just didn't have the room. Um and then, um, you know, with that kind of being said, it's like, with that, it's like, you know, I, when I don't, I can't make a location scout, and there's definitely times I can't, I always ask for photos, and we ask for photos. We I definitely, you, I send, send me photo. tons of photos for Photos, that. videos, yeah, ideas but and moves. But the issue is, it's like, it's great when you see the phone video, but you don't realize how small it is until you get in the space. Right, and, and then like, you have oh. all this... You know, lights are going to take up space. Gear, I mean, it's going to take up space, but I mean, you got to move that to another room. I mean, people. I mean, yeah. So uh, for for everyone's reference, I'm at the top of a fifth floor walk up, <laughs> and the uh, living room kitchen combo thing is very narrow. The bedroom is bigger, but the the main space is kind of like railroady, and. Uh, yeah, and so it's just like I mean the wa- the walkable path for both me uh, and uh, my my co star and Nick is <laughs> very small. Very small, especially <clears throat> once you start adding, you know, lighting to kind of thing where it's like um, you're trying to find a way to put units up so you can light the space, but not get in the way of talent's movements and the camera movement. So that was a tough battle for red tanner the gaffer on that one and i because it was like well we do need this to be lit right we how you know we gotta have with such a narrow space uh where are we gonna put these units and especially for a new york city apartment the battle you always face is okay so you don't want to put a stand down all the time because if you put a stand down that's gonna take up room so you're gonna try to put down maybe a pigeon plate um I'll try to explain that basically putting an an apple box and putting uh, the plate on there and able to put a light there and to get spread light that way. And Mm -hmm. you can fit that on top of a fridge or on a counter. Um, And that takes away a stand, which is great. But it's still like, okay. Well, uh, then that's something you have to crop out, which I I remember. Which we did here. When we were doing sort of a backwards tracking shot, we had to make sure we didn't uh, see that light. Yeah, no, 100%. And even from the example of uh, powerful stuff, um, I know um, when, uh, for for that, there was the shot of, I'm sure you'll remember it, where we have that tracking shot of, um, I think it's gotten split up a little bit of coming up the staircase in um, powerful stuff. Oh, right, 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 right. And the issue with that was... When you're racking over my shoulder? Yeah, yeah, and just remember... I don't know how much you remember it, but that was a complex move with the location because um, we were we needed to be far away enough for you that we could be over your shoulder, and (laughs) there was no space. There was no space, Um, and so 
the we were did i have to lean forward or do you remember i think so you had to lean forward it was also like we saw everything because we had to be on such a wide lens so i remember going to the gaffer renzo and being like well uh we're gonna somehow have to make this work and what we ended up having to do was just like accept that uh you know there is going to be some lights in the shot because of the fact that it is an interview space kind of thing. Oh, right. And we made that part of the world. We for, had to make it part of the world. Cause for people that don't know, uh, Powerful Stuff takes place at a uh, film festival talkback. And so I guess we were fortunate enough that we could yeah, just live with that uh, idea. Yeah. Um, very quickly, at the, at the beginning, the beginning half and the last half, those lights that are standing, they're, they're there each time? Yes. Okay, cool. Continuity is great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I mean, we were fortunate that we could get the shot we wanted and sort of accept that they were part of the, the world. And those weren't the only lights in. I'm, uh, you know, they were, we specifically picked which units were in that shot that would be there if you were at a normal talkback. So that would make sense. But those weren't the lights that were the only lights lighting the scene. There's still <laughs> sure. like 75% of the actual lighting was coming from lights outside of frame, but we still, we needed those lights to be there because there's just no other way that um, the area of the frame would be lit without them being there kind of thing. So it's just adapting for that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so then when, but if you don't have lo- time for a location scout or even if you do, I assume you've already established a... Uh, <clears throat> a shot list beforehand and then you're gonna so go there and sort of be like okay what is and isn't possible yeah i mean the thing is i think the ideal world is to go there and make the look and make the shot list together there kind of thing before you go after you go kind oh, okay. of thing, or while you're even there um i feel like that's where i've had the most success of like having a shot list um I know that's what uh, Mike and I did for Drifter, and it worked really well, where um, we were filming um, some night exterior stuff outside of a, um, in a uh, parking lot kind of thing, and we went the, uh, we had some time the morning before, so we went and did a location scout uh, with me, Mike, the executive producer, Joe Murphy, and um, uh, I think can't remember i think it was tanner uh our key grip too uh, but i think he was filling in, in forenzo to gaff for that day and we were just like okay so these are the shots we want to get now that we're out of space so how can we make that work um with like what we can see where we have to put gear um and wait was this scout before the shoot day it or? was it was oh so that's yeah. i mean that's uh that's pretty less you you had no shot list before that though we did have a shot list before that but when we went there we were able to condense that shot list. oh be like we can't do this yeah yeah, yeah yeah and we also were able to be like okay um this is where this is where talent is going to be this is where that light is going to have to be this is where we can actually put the camera kind of thing okay otherwise we won't be able to see anything kind of thing so we will have to adjust on that frame because a lot of directors too um aren't going to be able to think like okay um they're not thinking about lighting and they shouldn't be uh, they really <laughs> i most certainly was not i i would hope not and but then they can have these shots and then that they want to do and then when we when we go in there they're not always possible because at the end of the day 
um, it's great to get the shot, but if there's no way to get any lighting in and you can't see the frame, then it's not worth getting the shot anyway. Sure. Um, so, and from uh, on a flip side of that too, from the sound point of view, uh, there's a director, Caragrace Miller, who I worked with um, on a, a mockumentary that we did. And the first location we went to um, at the location scout, it was an interesting location. It could have worked, but then we kept hearing planes flying overhead. And it was like, well, that's never going to work. Is because it, <clears throat> was it very close to an airport? It was. And we looked, I think uh, the producer or someone had looked it up and it was in a LaGuardia flight path. Oh. So then that ended up resulting in Kara having to choose a whole new location because it was like, if a plane's flying over fi- every five minutes, it's never going to work. You're never going to be able to yeah. get the right dialogue. And it's like, even if it works on the frame, it's like, it doesn't matter because like you still need audio kind of mm-hmm. thing. So mm-hmm. it's like, it has to, and it, I think this is starting to get away from like, uh, not necessarily uh, cinematography, but like right. every um, department is going to, should really be there at the location scout. If you're doing a scout, um, and I know that's hard to do in an indie world because we get back to the whole money thing and all that and having the budget for it. But, you know, I think the sound person was there um, when we were doing that scout and was like, yeah, there's just no way this is going to work. And mm-hmm. so luckily we did that instead of being like, you know, maybe we can try to get away with it and we can try to shoot here. And then mm-hmm. us realize on the first day that that's never going to work. And then basically drained the budget of a full shoot day that we couldn't do did did you lose that entire shoot day no because we switched the location so uh Kara made the choice it ended up being more expensive to rent the other location but it ended up working for sound a million times better okay um so it worked out perfectly and it looked better on camera too so it was an end up a win-win all around <laughs> yeah so all right, yeah, so obviously I think location will really determine uh, before and during what you can do, what is possible. Yeah, so that, yeah. that is probably one of your biggest factors of your shot list. But I guess let's we can even take it back a little bit of like the actual forming of the shot list. Like, I'm, like this is A, this is B, this uh, is yeah, C. Yeah. So like how, like what is that, uh, the, the process, like working with a director to determine what we hope to get like i mean um do you let them lead the charge in terms of like i want this i got i like i want that kind of coverage i imagine this and then you suggest things or do you suggest things whenever you feel or it's funny i was just having this conversation with the director this morning (laughs) (laughs) okay um and the answer it's like a lot of the answers i've already said it's like it depends on the person kind of thing um is like as a dp i think you're part of your job uh, I, I got told way back that part of half of your job as a DP is just working with people <laughs> and sure. just um, how to like manage a crew. And I think that kind of goes also for pre-production because everyone has a different way how they want to do pre-pro um, and how they want to do shot listing. So I work with plenty of directors that have been like, you know, I think this will be better off if I go make a shot list myself and then go send that shot list to you and then we'll hop on a call 
and then we'll discuss the shot list, and then you tell me what you see from a cinematography point of view and be like, maybe this shot isn't needed. Maybe we can cut this. Kind of like what um, I think we did kind of something similar on um, on uh, Mike's film that you were producing, uh, Bathe in the Night. Kind of thing. Okay. We did something like that. And we did that also for Drifter, too. Uh, no, actually, no. I made it with Mike on Drifter. Kind okay. Of thing. Yeah. So it's also like... There's a great example. Mike did two different ways there. Mike did one time for one film, he wrote it all out okay. himself, and then we touch base, and then we connect. Another film, we literally took hours and just did it all together. Yeah, I mean, I think that was... Um, Which is what we did. What we did on both films. On both films. Uh, with that le- I mean, at least for powerful stuff, I... Uh, because there was, you know, it was very ambitious, and it was like a, you know, a big space, and like I, there was like so many ideas, um, and I, 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 you know, obviously this is sort of still outside my wheelhouse, and because it was an ambitious project in terms of you know cast and crew and locations, I wanted to make sure that we um, took advantage of everything we had at our disposal. Like I wanted to like sort of make it as interesting as possible, and so I, we definitely formulated that uh together which was a very interesting process yeah yeah and i i mean personally and i am totally down to do whatever way i think for me i part of the process i enjoy the most is working with the director on like crafting those shots and the visuals so i personally my favorite part and favorite way to do it is to do it with the director but unfortunately a lot of the times it's timing that sure, sure. gets in the way of it it's like um, you know, sometimes directors are cramming with a ton of stuff leading up to a shoot, and they don't always have the time. Or I'm on a bunch of shoot days. Sure, sure. And the times that I'm available don't align. So what we have to do is split it up in that way where a director makes a shot list, and then I look at it, and then we hop on a phone kind okay. of thing. And, I mean, it just, again, it's like just another way to go about it. Um, I think the one... One of the things I haven't seen as often, and it's very uncommon as a as a director just being you make the shot list to a DP. Oh wow! And uh, I think I might have had that maybe once or twice. And uh, that's a lot of responsibility. It's yeah, and normally it feels to weird. Me, it, you know, I think maybe when I first started out, I think I probably saw that more often, and then. Now, if that happens, it's probably more of like, ah, uh, that's more of a red flag for me. Like, sure. Because that's like, to me, as a DP, I should be helping. My job is to help the director tell their vision. Exactly. And if I'm making all the shots, that's your vision. That's then. not a director's vision. And then, yeah, if you create the vision, then it becomes an opportunity for you guys to butt heads. And, you know, you, well, you asked me to do this. This is how I see it. I mean, what do you want? Yeah. Yeah. No, 100%. It's like going to, and I would say it's, you know, making the shots is a collaboration kind of thing, but it shouldn't be solely on one person. You know what I mean? It's like directing and DPing are supposed to go hand in hand. Sure. How they create those shots. And if you just give it to one person to do it, uh, that's, you're miss you're misinterpreting the whole process of how it's supposed to be a collaboration. So if you're just giving the DP the whole thing to be like, oh, you make the shots, then <laughs> it's like, well, well that's not, uh, you're not having a, like a collaborative process anymore. That's like, you're missing part of the process of making a film. Right, right, right. And so how about 
we we uh, transition a little bit to what the, the actual process of building uh, the shot list. So we're, we're coming at it from a perspective of like, you should have a shot list and we'll get to why you should have a shot list. But how do you, like, what is the actual process? Like, what are we writing down? And, and what is the communication we're having between each other? So basically what we're doing is a lot, I mean, again, it's personal preference, but a lot of times people will, I have like a template myself that I run through and I take on every show kind of thing. Um, and that I start with, and I've gotten it from probably a job years and years ago that I've just kept and just cop- copied and sure. it works for me kind of thing. Um, or some people still do the pen and paper route kind of thing. Um, and we'll basically go scene by scene and we'll try to pick apart how do we want this film to be shot kind of thing. So we'll be we'll just pick apart each scene, find the different angles that we want. And at first, I, I always say, and the directors are normally really with this, is like, let's get all the shots that we could dream of down. So... Mm-hmm. Um, like, who cares? It could be 2,000 shots. Let's put it all down. No way in hell are we shooting 2,000 shots. Of course. Um, and everyone knows that. But it's more of a brainstorm process. Just get the wheels turning and just get whatever you can out there because chances are, um, you know, 50% of those shots that you're putting down are going to get cut most of the time more. <laughs> right. So even from the brainstorm, it's like you write everything out. Uh, those will get cut because you're like, all right, here is our, here's the hope of what we can accomplish. So you and and the director present something to the AD who will tell you, what the fuck is this? <laughs> <laughs> and um, and then even from there, you're going to have to scale back. So it's just like if you give yourself the biggest brainstorm, you you'll have hopefully at the end of your shoot shots that you love. And you know, maybe you didn't get all the coverage you wanted, but these are the shots. At least you knew coming into it you love. Yeah, yeah. And I think that you're touching on the magical magical world of coverage is like a big topic because like, you know, there's this thing where you need coverage, but it's this uh, world where it's like you don't want to just rely on wide, medium, 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 close up, close up, close up, because then it's just that gets stale. Right. And that that become yeah that's interesting so uh, i have a couple of thoughts but for on the actual uh the shot list you'll say like all right here's a scene here's um what do you want to use powerful stuff or definitely something as an example let's use powerful stuff, let's use powerful stuff. okay so the uh, lobby or theater which switch do you want to do uh let's do the lobby all right so the lobby in the lobby scene uh my character has a conversation uh, with his ex-girlfriend, and it's a well, for, it's a tight space, which is problematic. So, and there's also multiple positions, or I, I don't even know if they were written in, but we had to fi- we figured out the blocking on the day of. Yeah. And so, I, I guess the hope of what we did uh, beforehand was just like, all right, I want to see, uh, you know, a wide of me entering the space. I wanted like a wide facing uh, my entrance and a wide facing away. And then, you know, I wanted two shot and then uh, over the shoulder onto me, over the shoulder onto her, and then close-ups at some point. I, I forget if we had close-ups of the whole scene. It, everything got uh, uh, chopped up. Um, so, so 
when you're when you're forming that, what what is your process uh, like after the so the director suggests something, we've got basic coverage or just you know ideas. So then, what do you do? What do you do next? So after the basic coverage is like shot, you're saying? Is or no, what? like when you're when you're forming the shot list, I say here are my ideas. Oh, and okay. Like what do you then want? So the thing for me that I'll look at is. Yes, look at the coverage, make sure we have enough so that we have points to cut around. But then um, I'll get to that, what I was saying earlier, is like it feeling stale. I want it to have a style, aesthetic to it kind of thing, because each film is like, you know, supposed to feel like its own different thing. So whether that's um, a tracking shot, whether that's, uh, there's different ways to tell that, to get that character to where you need to go. Or whether maybe we don't need that um, medium shot that we were originally talking about. Maybe we're substituting that out and we're doing an overhead shot or something. Or maybe Mm -hmm. we're doing a shot from a high angle far away or something like that. It's like it doesn't need to follow that cookie cutter approach. Sure. Um, That's just to get people thinking like, okay, we need stuff to cut to. So as long as those other angles that you're adding in provide you cut points that you're able to really tell the scene the right way, you're good. Because for me, I feel like it's not interesting to watch a film where it's like, why medium, medium, close up, close up. It's like, to me, sure, that's sure. just, uh, and it, maybe that's just me, but it's to me, that just feels a little bland and doesn't feel like, uh, it, it feels too sterile, too sure, cookie sure. cutter for yeah. it. So I'm always like, okay, how can we change this up? How can we bring some more style aesthetic to it? But that being said, there's also films where, um, like even definitely something we, that was mostly basic coverage. It was def- basic, but that's what you had wanted, and yeah, yeah, that's, that's all I think, we had time for. Something that also brings up too is like uh, it's a director vision kind of thing. So um, you know, if that's what a director wants, I'm always going to shoot it kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would say with definitely something. Well, I mean, the idea was to make that project as small as possible, and then it uh, became much bigger, and that's that's a whole other story. But uh, the idea was like literally just basic coverage, and we'll kind of find movements as we go to make it interesting. And I, I or it was basic coverage, and then there were a couple of shots I specifically saw in my mind, like like the opening to mm, it, like mm, where we yep. where we travel up my my leg to my head, where we so you just show my costume in full. Um, but mostly it was just basic coverage, and that it, uh, I agree with you that I think. Um, expanding uh, you know coming up with a unique vision is, is important for your shots like really try to make yourself stand out and 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 what are the different ways you can tell the story that are interesting to you and interesting narratively and and then it's i, I guess the, the the trouble you might run into is that uh having more shots it might not be possible because you don't have enough uh, time, you don't have enough money, you don't have enough days, and so then it becomes like, well, what do you do? Do you just do basic coverage so you can cut it together, or or, or do you, uh, you know, try your best to to shoot it differently? Or because I mean, like, if you don't have basic coverage, then you're you're forced yeah. into certain edits. Yeah, and even like, let's think about powerful stuff. We got into a position where we were cutting shots left and right. We cut a lot of shots, and what we had to do was basically to make our days uh, we had to cut those shots and combine them and combine them but we also had to cut down on takes 
So that starts affecting performance, which isn't great because it's yeah, like, yeah. ideally, um, you're having you know as many takes as a director wants, and I'm sure you wanted probably three at least. Three at least. But we probably got two at most for a lot of them. Maybe sometimes even one. Yeah. No, and that's how it is, and that's just because it's like if you're only able to um, be in a space for a certain amount of time, if you're only allowed to. Um, you know, have a certain uh, talent there for a certain amount of time, that kind of thing, um, you know, then you're restricted. And you have to work with it kind of thing. But that's kind of the indie life. It's like everyone's got restrictions because no one has unlimited funds. Um, and so you have to find a way to do the film in the best way possible. And, I mean, that also becomes like a kind of a, a creative motivator yeah. because you're like, all right, I need to cover a whole bunch of ground, and I can't get even basic coverage. Well, well, now what do I do? Yeah. And I mean, we ran into that in in, in both of my films, where uh, there's at the at the end of Powerful Stuff, there's a uh, a, a long uh, what is called a oneer. So it's just like a very long take, and it's it's uh, most of a scene. I forget how long it is. Maybe it's like two minutes or something like that. But in in that scene, my character has multiple conversations, and I remember originally. I think we had probably coverage for all those conversations. It's like the, the first conversation between me and one person, it's my my shot, her shot, okay? And then we have a shot, so that's two, and then a shot of me moving down, and then second conversation, it's like my coverage, first other character, second other character, so that's three more shots, and then and then we had a, a, a third conversation and a fourth conversation. It adds and, up. And, and, and <laughs> it's just kind of like that... And we still had a whole rest of the scene, like the, the the second half of the scene to shoot, and we were forced into making it a oneer, which I mean that took up a lot of time, but still less time than all that coverage would have taken. Um, so it's good and bad, and, you know, like it forces you to be creative, and I think that's it's a very interesting shot. I think it's very dynamic. There's a lot of moving parts. I think it it it. it uh, adds to the production value and also it's just kind of like oh wow they kind of they went for something but i know that we were we were forced into doing yeah, that yeah. we didn't i mean we were like wouldn't it be funny if we did a one like oh yeah but that would take so much lighting and rehearsal and so like maybe not let's not do it justin and then we did it anyway <laughs> uh, i mean like you said we were forced into that and uh it was just like well you know when you have only a couple hours left of your day and you got to get like this full scene how are you going to do it okay well we're going to do this and we're going to find a way to make this work and how are we going to do that well we're going to have to block it this way to get it to work so it kind of ended up that's the thing with those longer takes it ended up putting more um emphasis on the blocking of it a lot of coordination a lot of blocking and i think that's something uh to think about too um, if, if you're trying to reduce shots, I mean, you should kind of always be trying to reduce shots. I mean, you know, be ambitious, you know, shoot for the stars, try and get your, your dream list. But ultimately, I mean, so many things go wrong. I mean, like, you know, a, a piece of equipment, uh, uh, you know, shorts out a light or, or a lens or, so, or something with a lens or, or like a, a transmitter um, or you lose hours not being able to get into your space, which we have a lot of experience with. And so it just becomes... I think interesting to think about how can I achieve this in a reduced maybe unique way because I think the scenes that were forced into if you want to call it oneers or whatever uh, those are 
very dynamically interesting to me because then it becomes like, well, how do we make uh, the focusing different? It's like, all right, you have someone in the foreground and then you have a character in the background and you're racking focus, uh, um, well, changing focus, if you don't know what racking means, changing focus between this character in the foreground and that character in the background. And like, how do you cover a lot of ground in, um, you know, in, in less shots? And I mean, does that become boring? I don't know. I think it's if the blocking is, um, I think dynamic. I think it, it can be interesting. If you have less shots, I don't know what your position is on that as a DP. Yeah, I mean, the thing about the oneer was a oneer is such a complex thing because there's so many moving parts to it. Yeah, light goes out a minute and a half in, you ruin the take. Yeah, and it's like, I mean. Think about the movie 1917. That was all the one or kind of or like stitched, stitched together kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. And they'll talk about all the time and think that's on such a bigger scale. But it was sure. like, um, you know, if something goes wrong mid take, it's like, all right, that takes over. You got to restart kind of thing. And that's kind of what happens with the one or even on an independent level. It's like, all right, so if something goes wrong, someone misses a line or something, we got to completely restart. Or Right, because uh, you can't cut. Because like if, if it was traditional coverage, someone messes a line, they, they pause, and then they go on with the scene yeah, yeah. because you'll have cut points. Yeah, yeah. But uh, here, I mean, yeah, <laughs> that's and the like, scene. The biggest thing for that is like, uh, you know, shout out Alex Cope for pulling <laughs> focus on that because it's like, you know, I remember going up to him being like, dude, I, I don't know how this is going to go. I can't give you really... Uh, we can rehearse it so you have your... Uh, Rough idea. Your, you can get some uh, focus points kind of things, and we're going to do this, but I know it's not going to be easy because we're, you know, we're doing a full oneer kind of thing, and um, we didn't have uh, a light ranger or anything to, like... Uh, that that marks the focus kind of things to really give you the exact measurements. So it was like he's pulling just off of a monitor with like focus peaking on, or by going off of it and just trying to get it um, by just because he's good at his job. And uh, luckily for us, Alex nailed it and is really good. <laughs> yeah. Um, and um, you know that that's like it shows a lot about their skill level um, when a AC can do that, but mm -hmm. it's just a challenge all around because it's not just a challenge for an AC, it's a challenge for actors because like they have to all hit their marks, say their lines and all that kind of stuff. And then at the same time, I remember even on when we did that wonder wonder on powerful stuff, the sound, uh, Sebastian had to be careful because I'm moving backward as I'm operating and <laughs> I he can't get in the shot. He can't, but he has to get the boom in. So it's like this whole challenge of all departments working at the same time right. and I think to a certain degree too it creates this whole unity where everyone's like alright we're up against this challenge we're gonna do it together right, we're we gonna have pull to. it off we, we have don't have to. a choice right I mean it's just kinda like yeah I mean it'll it'll save you time because you're doing less shots but then the, the trade off is like high levels of stress low uh, margins of error and you know you know, just hoping the, the stars align. And yeah. then at the end of the day, being like, all right, um, we don't have time, so you have to kind of accept. I mean, that's with all shots. Yeah. Uh, but you're going to have to more so accept things that aren't maybe as great as you want them and to And, like, be. shout out Renzo, too, for lighting, because, like, I don't know how much you remember that, but we had the entire space had to be lit because we <laughs> saw everything. Right, 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 right. Um, and <laughs> funny enough, and Renzo knows this, we've done that. We've had to do wonders now 
a number of times on bigger on different films out of necessity or choice uh, out of choice uh and necessity so he's you know he we've experienced like okay having to light entire spaces uh we had to do it on drifter too where we shot saw everything on the first floor of a house so everything had to be lit um and so that requires a ton of work for um the gaffer in this case renzo um, on both of these scenarios um, to get that set up perfect so mm-hmm. that everything's lit and that we see everything the way we want to be we want to see it no matter where that camera's going kind of right right and so I think it it there are benefits to it where it's just like if 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 you don't do basic coverage and you hold it in one shot I mean you're you're getting the whole you're getting the whole scene and maybe it can lead to some unique choices and, and lend itself to vision and dynamic movements. But then, like you said, it just becomes a bunch of problems that everybody needs to uh, fix together. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's just like, I guess, pick your poison. Yeah. But more likely than not, on set, you're going to have to cut things. So I, I guess I would encourage people to, to think about how you can combine shots. Uh, like I said, it, it gets a little dicey because then it forces you into a certain edit. But if you can pull it off, you'll, you could maybe have more takes, which will give you uh, better performances and maybe it'll contribute to your vision. Um, because yeah, like at the end of the day, you're not, yeah. you don't have enough time. Sure. Um, and let's even think about the fact that um, we also were while we were doing all that we were also trying to battle this thing that we were trying to create all this to happen but we also needed to get you to the front of the stage so we need you to hit all these points and do all that blocking but we needed you to get to the stage in a reasonable period of time because we didn't want the shot to last a crazy amount of time because even though the shot is a long take in the short indie short film, you can't have a one last for you know unless you're it's the whole short is a one or something. Short. Yeah. I mean, you can't have a five minute one of us going one over here and then now we're going over here. Yeah, and over yeah, here. yeah. So, so so the blocking had to be very very specific and also uh, it had to move quickly. And I think given the uh, um, this where the what the scene was supposed to do and where it was supposed to take yeah. place and all that stuff, I think it lended itself to moving sort of at a clip but then like you said that becomes even more added stress where it has to like really to you have to keep the the audience engaged the whole time so it's like yeah there's there's so many variables when you do that it's like you think it'll help but then there's a bunch of problems to solve yeah yeah i mean there's a there's a caveat to everything kind of thing it's Mm -hmm. like uh there's a plus and minus to every side so it's like you know we can do all that coverage but it's gonna take more time or we can do the winner and it's probably gonna take just about almost the same amount of time uh maybe a little bit less it saved us but typically it it takes more time well right and i think it's just like all right you can't have the the uh the lighting be perfect and at certain points it's like all right this is the blocking this is what we got so you you might be able to get more takes with a one or maybe who's to say um but i think it can sort of save you and also be interesting creatively um, so, you know, consider it, consider how you make blocking dynamic. Um, and so we have all of this with like, all right, you know, make your dream list. It's going to get c- cut down before you get to set. It's going to get cut further down when you get to set. 
um, what happens, uh, and have you worked in a way where the, you, there was no shot list and you're literally discovering it on the day? Yeah, I mean, I have done that. I think especially, I think when I was first starting out, I think I saw some of that. And um, I guess now I'm at... You wouldn't do that? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> uh, I, I think it. I would have to have worked with the director before and ha- be, be able to know exact to be able to communicate and actually know exact know exactly what we're going to do when we're there um in the sense that they could communicate exactly what we they want but it's still to me it's still problematic because the issue is the shot list is so important in my book because the shot list is what sets it up for the entire crew because that shot list is going to be going to the production designer the shot list is going to be going to makeup artists because they need to know what's going to be coming. So if it's a wonder, they need and like a makeup artist needs to know. Okay, this is going to happen the whole time. Maybe there's a makeup change in the middle or something that right. I need to be aware of, kind of right. thing. Or a production designer needs to know. Oh, I'm going to see this entire space. Or right, like right. Alex and, and Alex's sake, and and his world, he had to worry about. Okay, the focus is going to shift a lot because I'm moving. Renzo had to worry about seeing the entire lighting thing. And I think we had to, you know, I think we have to think about when we're making shot lists, it kind of, it's putting that prep in that's going to help you out later on. So, I mean, I think earlier on, some people just didn't want to do a shot list because maybe they thought that uh, it takes away from the experience. Hmm. But, um, Personally, I mean, I can't think of any projects recently where I have not had a shot list. Right, and I, I think also uh, the, the the sort of romantic idea that you just uh, put forth. Yeah, I mean, I guess I could see someone coming coming at it from that space, but at the end of the day, you're going to be forced to have that experience because you're going to have to cut shots and combine shots and all this stuff. At the very least, it gives you like a blueprint that you can sort of fall back on. Or if you have you have multiple ideas, you're like, all right, let's combine these rather than having to find the ideas there and then combining them. Exactly. And like, um, there's a dire- another director I work with, Mark Carefin, who you know. Um, and we did a I, I shot a horror short for him that um, that is coming out and. The thing that I remember when we were doing a shot list was especially for pivotal scenes, it becomes more critical um, because it's like those pivotal scenes, you're probably going to want more takes for it. Mm -hmm. Um, And with that being said, you're probably also going to want more angles a lot of the time. Maybe not. Sometimes you will, sometimes you won't. But at least... I know in the, the film that we had done, there was, um, there was one like long, long table scene that was a lot of dialogue that we knew we were going to need more takes. So we just knew we needed more coverage, too. Uh, in the dining room of Definitely Something? No, no, in, in, in Mark's movie. Oh, okay, um, I yeah. got you, yeah. Um, I mean, for your films, there's, I can tell you, for Definitely Something, we, you know, when they were sitting, uh, when you guys were sitting, I'm pretty sure, I think you nailed it, but... I think that those heavy dialogue scenes, um, whether it's 
uh, whether it's a walk and talk or someone sitting, it doesn't matter. It's still a lot of dialogue. So you have to account that that's going to be more takes kind of thing. Sure. And sure. that you'll probably want more coverage to cut around it. Because it's different if someone's like just walking around and you're filming them. You can have multiple angles and, you know, you can cut around whatever things happen. Uh, but with dialogue, um, you know, I feel like you also can't cut everything. Because right. it's like, then it starts getting choppy kind of thing. And right, so it, it, or it doesn't make sense, you're missing exposition. But you or... need enough to make the scene work. Too. Exactly. I mean, there's so many trade-offs. It's, it's, it really gets uh, a lot to balance. Um, and so I guess what, this is an impossible question to answer, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Uh, How, what is, <laughs> no, it's nothing crazy. I'm just, <clears throat> what do you think is a reasonable... We're not going to be super stressed kind of number of shots to aim for in a day. And I mean, I, I think that's it's dependent on so many variables, locations, uh, um, stunts, uh, what kind of moves you want. But I mean, let's give a rough estimate. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny. We've, we've had that talk a probably a lot <laughs> about a lot of films. And, you know, I, I think I used to give the number that 20 to 25 a day was probably somewhere that I felt comfortable with. And now I will all say, too, let's think about what's also happening in the film. And I personally, I am more comfortable with less shots. Um, and I would rather us have 10 really good shots that were like, this is exactly what we want. Then 25 shots that some of them been rushed where, um, you know, maybe it's not the performance isn't exactly how we wanted or the lighting is not what we wanted. I understand the whole world of coverage and all that stuff. But to me, I I would always prioritize quality over quantity. Um, you maybe know. like 15-ish, maybe. Yeah, so I... To me, yeah, 15 is something that... Um, and then, I guess, there's always the whole thing of inserts that always comes up. Like <laughs> They it, don't count as shots. They don't count as shots, <laughs> but a lot of the times they still, you know, they take time. Or, like, you know, sometimes inserts are a little more complicated than you thought. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm sort of in the same boat where, uh, you know, I've done, you know, definitely, I'm uh, sorry, powerful stuff, and that was ambitious and a ton had to get cut. And then even definitely something, which was... Uh, the goal was as minimal coverage as humanly possible. And that was still <laughs> s extremely stressful. I think that was, you know, location dependent yeah, and circumstance yeah. dependent. But yeah, I think less is more. And maybe, you know, it's you feel like, oh, you're jeopardizing your vision. But realistically, you're not. I think having some constraints uh, makes you think more creatively. Yeah, I agree. And it's like at the end of the day too it's like well what is what did you picture in your head kind of thing and maybe i don't every director is different maybe you pictured a bunch of shots but maybe that's not possible on the budget that we have or the amount of time we're in the location kind of thing so it becomes this kind of balancing act of like what's actually possible kind of thing and making sure that we can get as close as we possibly can and that we're not compromising, but we're also not, you know, putting us in a position that will hurt us down the line where, okay, so we're going to, like, we need all the shots for this scene. Well, that's going to take away from the next scene. Oh, sure, But sometimes, sure. 
we, I mean, I think we might have even done that where it's like, we can get away with one angle for this scene kind of thing. Because we don't have time. And yeah. we make it work and it becomes a wonder. But there's also, there's consequences of that, but of that too, where it's like, well, now we, we only have three takes that we can use. and Right, right. And also I think you could think of if you need more shots being like, all right, you can't have a close-up of the whole scene. So maybe find a specific mm. section that you want like you know the the uh the emotional arc it's just like all right if you have a bunch if you have like a page of preamble before that all right have your wide and have your two and yeah. then go into like all right now it's close up land. Yeah. so it's just like that's a good point being picky about what you want in what angle kind of thing is important yeah yeah, yeah. so i guess uh to wrap up do you have any words of idiocy anything any recommendations to the indie folk like uh, how would you summarize this process for somebody who's just getting started it's their first shot list what where do we go i think uh and we've talked about this i think working with a dp and finding what's comfortable for them and what works for the director and finding that middle ground is great i think trying to and we've joked about this a lot i think it's just too difficult on an indie level to be a director actor kind of oh that's thing. a whole podcast and where i will never do that again i'll find somebody to talk to about it <laughs> and i you know i stand by that and it's just it's um i just don't think on this level it's doable well because you'll never be able to watch playback amongst many other things yeah yeah and so i think if that's something to always I mean, not everyone's always looking to act in it either, but that's just something I'll say. Um, but I think, you know, just having a collaborative experience and enjoying the shot listing process is important and being smart and being choosy about what you're doing is just as important because you do have a limited amount of time and it's independent, so a limited amount of resources, a limited amount of time, so choose what's gonna be what you really envision right and find a way that you can get the rest of the team including the dp to carry out that down to the different lines so how can uh lighting work to make that vision come alive how can production design how can sound how can and so on and so on and so on to make sure that you make your day because it's, I think one of the hardest things in an independent and even on bigger things too is how do you make your day kind of thing. Yeah, and I'll find an AD to talk to about that. The 12-hour day, our thoughts on it. There's, that's, that's a whole different hour. But uh, yeah, and I guess I would just add to that. Uh, maybe don't be precious because the day is going to force you to kill your darlings. Oh, totally. Oh, last thing. Something will go wrong. That is the thing that I always say, uh, and um, I think we talked about it on yours a few times. It's like something's gonna go wrong. We don't know every what time it's gonna be. you don't know what it's gonna be. Um, and so just account for that. So don't cram your schedule. Like we're gonna get every shot we're gonna do in ten minutes because you have crammed your schedule. A, that's not possible, and B, something's gonna come up. You don't yeah. know what's gonna things be. take a lot more time than you realize. Just as a blanket statement, yeah. there's gonna be a COVID scare. There's gonna be, uh, you know, a location's gonna fall through. There's yeah. gonna you're be. You're gonna have three hours of lost of your day. So that's what happened. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah, and and 
Just one last question we can end with. Have you ever gotten every shot you wanted on a shot list? Has that ever happened? Yes. I am impressed. <laughs> and that's why you should hire Mr. Nicholas DeLulo <laughs> as your DP. It's having a smaller shot list. That's how. <laughs> yeah, when we had five shots, we got them all. <laughs> All right, so that is it for today's episode of The Indie Idiot. I hope you had a great time, and thank you again, Mr. DeLulo, for joining us. Thanks for having me. This was fun. 